if you were a small child, uh, Children's Church is happening downstairs, right? Uh, and you can head on down. Uh, and and uh, everybody else, uh, we are we are going to be in the Book of Acts today. What? Oh, head for the back. I think Sarah's taking kids, right? Oh, Sarah's heading downstairs. Follow her. What? Oh, Gina's downstairs doing children's church. Um, all right, so a few years ago, uh, before I came to, to Big Sandy, I worked at a, a Basher Children's Home. And uh, I was a chaplain there, and I, I would help run groups. And, and we had, at the home, we had a high ropes course. Have you all seen these? I, if you're ever up in Kalispell, there's one up there on the side of the, on the, side of the road. You drive by it and... And we would do these, these therapeutic groups where you would get kids way up in the sky and, and they'd be on ropes and everything else. And, and it, was, it was fun uh, and incredibly stressful. Uh, and, and as a part of facilitating those groups, I went through several facilitator trainings. And, and that involved, and John can attest to this, it involved a great deal of, of learning how to maintain, how to check, how to test how to make sure that the ropes course was safe, that the ropes were okay, um, how to go up and rescue people who were stuck, uh, which is a, a whole thing on its own, how to go and get trapped gear up from the, the high elements. And, and as a part of this training, you'd go out and you'd climb up 60 feet into the air on a telephone pole, and you'd get out there with a pair of lobster claws. You didn't get to use the regular belay system. You'd have to get up there and and, and uh, there were just these, these little clips. And, and part of that, you had to get to this point where you understood that the odds of you falling to your death were not all that high. Um, I have in my hand a uh, length of rope. Uh, this rope, and I was hoping to have a really dramatic uh, illustration, but this rope will hold 15,000 pounds. Uh, for scale, I guess that's the weight of a small tractor, Right. Like if you were strong enough to pull, like me, if you were strong enough to pull a small tractor up in the air, <laughs> the, uh, this rope would be able to suspend a small tractor uh, um, at 15,000 pounds. Even at my heaviest, I was no, nowhere near that. And so you could get up there and hang all day long, right? You could hang for weeks and you would not fall. The rope would not break. Um, and, and it was a great comfort. You, if you were up there trying to do something, you know, and you would regularly as a part of training, you'd, you'd do these um, elements as practice so you could talk about them freely with, with clients who were doing the things. And, and you'd get up like and climb and stand on top of a telephone pole and jump off of it and try and ring a bell. And, and the whole time, like you'd be way up in the air and you'd look and it's kind of scary. Right? Like the, the only element I never success, successfully completed was that, the jump, where you would jump off and you'd ring a bell. And, and between my brain and my, my hands and feet, I could never convince myself that it was the exact same thing to step onto a telephone pole at three feet off the ground as it was at 40 or 50 or whatever it was. Right? And, and in my head, I knew... The rope was there, right? Nothing I'm going to do is going to make that rope break. Like, I couldn't try my hardest and break it, right? Um, I couldn't 
I couldn't, you know, on my best day, I couldn't come up with a way to break it. I might be able to set up two cars and pull against it and break it. But even then, it's not real certain because 15,000 pounds is a lot, right? Um, they would definitely not be dodges one way or the other. Um, nothing. <laughs> wow, that joke is worn out, I guess. I'll let it go. Um, <laughs> So we're in Acts, and we're right at the front end of something huge that is about to happen, okay? We are right at the front end of the persecution of the church, and the church is about to pray, and, and what is going to happen is going to be scary for them, right? Like, what is coming is scary. And part of the reason it's scary is that some of them are going to get killed, right? I mean, that is a real thing that is about to happen, and it is scary, and As they pray, they set their eyes on one very specific set of truths, and they come back to it over and over and over again. Why am I talking about it? Well, um, why am I focusing on that aspect? First off, the text dictates it. But secondly, we're living in a weird time for us, right? On a bunch of levels. It's weird because there's unrest in our country. Like the political parties are divided and everybody's angry. There's riots in the streets. There's a disease that's threatening to kill us all the time, or maybe not, depending on who you listen to. Businesses are struggling. Um, honestly, if you go through the prayer list this morning, I, there's three or four like major health concerns that are earth-shaking in that, right? I, I, uh, I was going to go out and eat um, probably the greasiest, least healthy meal I could possibly eat on Saturday because I had to run to Great Falls, but I got done sitting in the hospital talking to Larry, and I thought... Maybe eating the hamburger with grilled cheese sandwiches as a bun is a bad idea. For the second day in a row. In a row. Thank, thank, thanks, honey. Uh, it was good. And it might have been worth it. Um, but I didn't. Instead, I ate something healthy. Um, because, because I can't imagine being in that position where, like, my heart might not work. Or where a member of my family might be gone suddenly. Like, I can't imagine that. Like, we as a church and we as a society are in a weird, difficult place. And to scale, it's not that bad. I mean, if you flash back to the Black Death, it's not that bad, right? But it doesn't change the fact that it's intimidating. And it promises to get worse before it gets better. And so, like, as we dive into the text, I want to kind of keep that in mind. Where we're at in the series, in the book of Acts, we're just working our way through Acts because we're looking at the early church and how they did stuff. Um, And where we're at is uh, Peter and John healed a man. They end up getting arrested because they're talking about the resurrection and about Jesus. And the Sadducees are kind of scared because they don't want another rebellion. And they killed Jesus to get him off the scene. And they really, really don't want Jesus coming back around and giving them trouble. Um, And so, like, they get arrested and they're held in jail overnight and they're threatened and basically told, do not teach about this Jesus guy. This is the front end of persecution and it's the light part of it, okay? Between this point, which is probably in about 35 AD and 70 AD, both Peter, well, Peter will will be executed, right? He's going to be crucified upside down in Rome under Nero. The other nine disciples are going to be killed very shortly thereafter. John is the only one who's going to pass 70. 
Um, most of the church like is going to be persecuted. They're going to be scattered to the wind. They're going to be driven out. They're going to be illegalized and kicked out of their homes. Families are going to like disown each other and everything else. There is bad stuff coming for these guys. And this persecution is going to be very real and it is coming. Um, and that is where we're at at the series. Like Peter and John have been tried. They spoke up. They said, we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. And the Sanhedrin basically defeated, sends them on their way with a strict warning. Um, and we pick it up in Acts, okay? This is Acts 4.23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. So the very first thing they do, like the church knows they've been arrested. They know they've been dragged off. They know they've been held in jail. And the very first thing they do is they gather up with the church and they say, all right, guys, here's what happened. It's going to get harder from here, Right? It, it's it's going to start. Um, and, and I don't think this is something to be taken lightly. Um, I regularly hear about um, folks, I hear folks talk about, like, persecution is coming. Our religious liberties are going to be driven away. Christianity is going to be illegalized and everything else. And we, we get, you know, sort of scared and intimidated and anxious about it. And the danger of that is that we've been doing that for decades, Right? Anybody old enough to remember in the 80s when we were all going to be forced to get chips in our hands and, you know, dragged off and stuck under guillotines or some other nonsense that Christian, like, film came up with and, and like, all of this stuff is coming and we're all in trouble? Right? Like, and if you hear about persecution enough, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that it's a real thing. Right? But it hasn't happened yet. I would argue we might be getting a little closer. Churches aren't allowed to open in some places right now. That's a thing. Right? People are arrested in Canada for preaching the gospel. That is a real thing. Um, and that's Canada. I mean, it's not like a real country. It's, you know, Canada. Um, and so they go and they convey this. And kind of what's impressive to me, and the reason I'm talking about all this is, this is a spot where everybody should panic, Right? Everybody should hide. Everybody should be scared. And here's what they did. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and I'm going to pause here before we dive into the prayer. Um, what did they do? Here's what's cool. And here's our guide, okay? They did not form a political action committee. They did not circulate per- petitions. They did not go on the news or the Internet and complain loudly about how the party of Nero, who isn't even a thing yet, I'm sorry, the, the party of, uh, of Pontius Pilate and, and whoever's king at the time is going to, like, come and get us. They didn't villainize the enemy. They didn't anything. What they did was they backed up and they prayed. They didn't check their guns. They didn't make sure they had extra knives on them, right? They didn't run off to the country. They didn't shut up. Pardon my use of the S word. I know some people don't like their kids to hear that, but like it is a thing. They didn't stop talking. And I, I, I cannot say this enough. They didn't stop. They looked at the reality of it and they said, we're going forward. And then they turned around and they prayed. Because at the end of the day, the one thing that assures they will not fall to their deaths, or if they do fall to their deaths, they're going in the right way, 
is the rope that's tied around them. It is a rope that they cannot possibly break. It doesn't matter how scary the bad guys are. It doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter that the police are coming. It doesn't matter anything. What matters is they turned to God and they checked with him. They said, all right, God, we're here. We're with you. And this is part of what frustrates me sometimes about Christians talking about persecution. Number one is we get all riled up about something that isn't really happening at this point, And it is never so that we'll pray more. Have you ever heard somebody say, guys, it's time to pray because the days are getting short and persecution is coming? Like it's not. It's usually you need to speak out and get out there and fight for our political cause. Or you need to go out there and, I mean, it's true, right? Share this video on Facebook or they'll come and get you. It's, it's crazy. But at the end of the day, what they were driven to do was pray and continue on doing the stuff they were already doing. They didn't intentionally tick off the authorities. They just did what they were going to do. They operated the same way no matter what the people around them were doing. Except actually Peter does run off and hide for a little while when stuff gets really hot. But that's a whole other conversation because eventually – anyway. Um, so they pray. They go to the rope, and they said, Sovereign Lord. Now, that word sovereign is big and ugly and scary, and it's one we don't like. And I'm going to tell you why we don't like it, because it means that God is in charge, that God is making all of the decisions, and he has final say-so. Wait a minute, I really like that. I like it until God's will doesn't match mine. Get what I'm saying? I like it until God's sovereign will is that I get sick or that I lose my job because I'm, well, because I'm, I, well, I'm not going to lose my job. It's a bad example. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like it until bad things start happening to me. But the reality is if sovereign God is where we start and sovereign God is the truth, then sovereign God means that persecution is something that's happening because sovereign God is allowing it to. And so when persecution happens, i got to back up and like mirror James. What did James say? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you endure hardship of every kind. Man, that is the last thing we're saying, right? I consider it pure joy when I get to do what I want and when I'm pampered and catered to. I do not consider it pure joy when things are hard. I don't. But in reality, consider it pure joy when you endure trials of every kind because we know that the testing of our faith produces, I am totally butchering the quote now, but produces perseverance. We become strong in our faith when we're forced to live it out. When we have to trust the rope in hard situations, we learn to trust the rope all the time. Does that make sense? If I can trust the rope when I'm sick, if I can trust the rope when I'm broke, if I can trust the rope when I'm dying, I can trust the rope anywhere. I can trust that God is in control and is taking care of me anywhere. That means it means that no matter how the next two months of election nonsense works out, God's in control. That means if this pandemic means most of us end up bankrupt, God's in control. That means if you know, horrible, evil people take over the world and start lining up Christians and shooting them. God's in control. And God wants you to be holy, not happy. 
That's a scary idea when you pair it with sovereign, in charge, absolutely in control. He just spent 10 minutes talking about one word we're never getting out of here. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. We're going to hit pause. So they begin, and this is cool, the first thing they say is, God, you're in charge. God, you made everything. Not just everything, but everything that contains everything. God, everything that exists was nothing before. Even time was nothing You made it all, and you spoke to us through David. So they begin by saying, God, you're in charge. God, you are powerful. God, you are in control. God, you are nailing it down, and we know you've got it. And here's what you said through your scriptures. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the people plot in vain? Um, This is Psalm 2, right? Man, I love Psalm 2. It's in the Bible. It's all good. But, like, I really like Psalm 2. Um, and so they quote Scripture. So they begin by pointing out God is in charge. God is strong. The rope is good. The rope will not break. The rope will not fail. My flesh may fail. My spirit may fail. My heart may fail. My desire to serve, my willingness, my courage, my everything might fail. But sovereign God will not. And through his Holy Spirit, he said, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they quote the beginning of Psalm 2. My guess is they probably quoted all of Psalm 2, right? But like, let's say they didn't. They begin with Psalm 2 saying, God, the nations rage. The nations are furious that you're in charge and they will do anything to stop you and they will do anything to act against you they will act you know evilly and they plot and they figure out and they look for ways to fight against you you're going to jump into psalm 2 and pick up where they left off because i think it's worth reading saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us he who sits in the heavens laughs i love that he who sits in the heavens laughs And the Lord holds them in derision, meaning they may make their plans. They may take steps to execute um, his believers. They may fight against God. They may try to throw down his rules and his mores and right and wrong and the sanctity of life and the truth of, of who Christ is. They may try to throw all that down. And you know what God does? God laughs, right? Because the rope is strong. Because God is all powerful. He will speak to them with his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying as for me i have set my king on zion my holy hill i will tell of the decree the lord said to me you are my son and today i have begotten you ask of me and i will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel Meaning like, so in the original context, it's Israel is in Jerusalem. They are on Zion's hill and they are going to beat the heck out of the bad guys because God is awesome. Right? God is awesome. He can use, he can use a bunch of guys with torches and clay pots to beat an army of 
like tens of thousands, right? He can use guys with horns to knock down the walls. Uh, he can do anything. Like, God is amazing. Um, God is powerful, and God can act as he chooses. Um, God can send his people into battle to do awesome stuff. Um, this, of course, is talking about David. But in this sense, it is also talking about Christ. And Christ will bring the nations to heal. But here's the crazy thing. As we step into our reality, as we step into our world, the nations will come to heal to Christ, not by the sword, Right? but by the word of God, by the gospel. Do we have anything to fear if the nations plot against us, if our own wicked selves, if Satan is out there planning against us, if our own um, addictions or fears about mortality or anything else like are, are shaking the world around us, if our financial worries are, are chasing us, whatever, like whatever it is, do we have anything to fear? No, because God is in charge. And he looks at the wicked of the world, he looks at the evil, he looks at the sin, and he laughs. He holds them in derision, and his son pours out his blood to save us from it. But we really want God to show up like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Beat the bad guys. We really want God to make everybody else look stupid and foolish. And in reality, it's in humility that his power is displayed, like in Christ dying for us. Um, and what we're called to do is share that, not to fight to speak the truth and love, to preach the gospel. Even those folks who are plotting against us. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That last line, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so when fear sets in, when persecution rears its head, when danger is about, what do we do? We take refuge in him. What did the early church do? Very first thing, they're coming to get you. Let's take refuge in him. That's where we're running. For truly, and they're continuing to pray, this is not a narrative, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Ooh. (laughs) Look at this. In this city. So they've prayed all of this stuff about God's power and his might. They have spent more time talking about that than they do anything else in the prayer. Why? Because that's all that really matters. Anybody ever jump right into your like, God save me from this? Not. God, I remember in Psalms that you are all powerful. God, I remember in Psalms that you got my back. God, I remember in Psalms that you are the creator of all things, that the nations tremble before you, that they're going to plot, but they're going to lose. God, I know you made everything and you're in control. Because a lot of times we want to focus on, God, I'm in trouble, not, God, I know the rope's going to hold me when I fall off this stupid thing. I'm going to trust in that no matter what happens. So now he says, listen, they pray and they say, listen, God, I know that, 
these people gathered and they plotted against Christ, against the king and the governor and the leaders of the religious like elite and the Gentiles and all of these people are like plotting against us. They are there. And what happened was what you planned to happen. Predestined is an ugly and scary word that we don't use a lot. Um, we usually just argue about it when we do. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, feel blessed. Um, <laughs> but God planned God planned for Christ to die for us. God planned to pour his wrath out on Jesus. And God planned for persecution to come to the church. That's why sovereign God is where they started. They said, God, we know you're going to bring this on us, but we're going to trust you. Because it ain't happening apart from your will. And we know that it was your will that Christ suffered, and we know it's your will that I suffer. Here's the ugly part of that, though. Think about it. If I'm suffering, I hate suffering, right? I hate suffering. I am the softest, sissiest guy you know. I want comfort. I do not want people to say mean things about me. I do not want to physically hurt. I want life to be easy. Be around me when I have a cold, a man cold, which is usually fatal. (laughs) I whine and complain like it's nobody's business. But I'll tell you what, if you tell me that that cold is God's plan, I'll endure it with a smile on my face or try to learn how. My wife is nodding no. Thanks, baby. I said try. (laughs) What part of the Bible is that in? I forget. (laughs) Uh, Stop, 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 stop. I'm going to go over time because you're messing with me. Uh, So all of this bad stuff that happens, God predestined it. All of this difficulty, I know the ropes got me. I know the ropes in hand. I know nothing is happening apart from his will. And so if he's going to protect me, if he'll protect me, if I'm going to go through it, I'll go through it. If I'm going to hurt, I'm going to hurt. If I'm going to struggle, I'm going to struggle. That does not mean that the stupid struggles I bring on myself, right? I I got years of of alcoholism to say I went through all of that because God let me make stupid choices, right? And having gotten through it because God has more grace than I deserve, he has used it so I can help people. And I would go through it a hundred more times miserably because I know that God is in charge. Does that mean I like it? No. Does that mean that it was a wonderful part of my life? No. Am I proud of it? Absolutely not. It's actually really hard even today for me to talk about it because I'm pretty ashamed of it. But if I've got to fail... So that the Holy Spirit can be glorified. So that Christ can be glorified. If I've got to struggle so that I can overcome my hard heart and my wickedness, then I'll do that. And I'll do it with a smile on my face because my God is sovereign. My God saves. And my God can take my brokenness. He can take persecution. He can take anything. And he can be glorified by it. And so if tomorrow we are outlawed, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to say, God, help me to say exactly what I would have said in the first place. Right? Crazy thing is that a lot of times the church doesn't do that. We're scared of persecution, and so we're ready to fight persecution. But we're still not preaching the gospel to our neighbors. Right? Because we would rather fight than say Jesus died for you. We would rather take on the government and the lockdowns in California and a bunch of other nonsense than to stand up and humbly say, Christ died for me and he died for you. And all you have to do is repent and confess that he is Lord and follow him and you're saved. And you can 
take your place next to me with a rope in hand. Trust the rope. Trust that God is in charge. Trust that everything that happened has been planned. It is all destined. And now, Lord, so now he finally gets to, right, our request. That's like four slides and 22 minutes of preaching. Uh, rambling, maybe, if you'd prefer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. What did they ask for? Help us to preach the gospel. Not help us to oppose them in their persecution of us. Help secure our rights. Help give us comfort. Help make things easy. Help this, help that. Help us tell people about Christ because they're going to hell if we don't. Help us to repent and be right. Help us to be bold in preaching the gospel. That's what he went to. That's what they went to. He said, God, help us to continue to do this. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. So he said, God, continue to heal and continue to perform signs and wonders. So they asked for God's spirit to move, to give them proof of their ministry. Right? Does that mean we should ask for that? I don't know. I'll tell you. Having done ministry for a long time, it is far more amazing to see a heart changed than to see somebody, you know, see food multiplied. I guess I can say that. I would ten times over rather see the miracle of a safe, of a saved soul, of a heart made new than any other miracle or, or wonder. And so as we pray, we pray that we be brave. We pray that we be holy, which is enough of a miracle on its own, um, and that we preach the gospel effectively. No matter what tomorrow brings, no matter who shows up at the door, no matter what happens, no matter what sort of insanity or chaos or, or hysteria is happening around us, we preach the gospel. We do what we were going to do anyway, and we trust that the rope is going to catch us. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, this is cool. In the Old Testament, we see a building shake or when you see a shaking happen, it's about the time a theophany takes place. That's a big fancy word, meaning God shows up. It is the like one of the very rare times this happens in the New Testament. They pray, God be with us. And God shakes the place to say, I got gotcha. you. Right? It's, it's a little like God saying amen in, at the end of their prayer. Right? It serves no other purpose than to reassure them. I'm going to tell you, if you are hearing me preach this morning, if you are hearing this text and you're looking at yourself and you're saying, I need to be brave and preach the gospel. Not, I need to fight the government. I need to fight my neighbor. I need to not be California. I need to stand up against this or that or the other. And it is not about preaching the gospel. Be challenged to share the gospel with your neighbor. Be challenged to be the body of Christ no matter what comes. And if you're stirred, if you're challenged, if the spirit is moving within you, that is the building shaking. I would love to have the building shake. 
I would love to have us sing loud enough to shake the neighborhood. But ten times over, I would rather see people go out and share the gospel in a way that shakes this town to its core. Any day of the week. My challenge to you is to be those people. Shake this town. Shake up your own life if you've got it. If you're stuck in the mud, if you're stuck in your own sin, go to God and repent and shake the people around you when they recognize that you are no longer the person you were yesterday. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that you are sovereign. We know that in all this uncertainty and in all this nonsense and all this garbage and the health fear and the the pandemic and the, the election and you know, fear of persecution coming and, and, you know, fear of war and rumors of war and earthquakes and tidal waves and every other thing that might catch us, Lord. We know that Christ died for us and nothing will snatch us out of his hand. We know that you are the rope holding us up and we will never fall to our deaths. And Lord God, if it is in your will that we stumble, that we can be instruments of your glory when we are restored through the blood of Christ that the greatest thing that we can be used for is your glory, Lord. Not for our own glory, not for our own victory, not so we can laugh at the stupid people we disagree with, but for your glory and the glory of Christ who died for us. I pray for this over and over again. I pray that this church would be people that would go out and shake the world around them with the fearless preaching of the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. I forgot to announce there's a bunch of announcements.